Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain Podcast, Alan Murphy and Ken, all super excited about Ireland versus France in the Rugby World Cup. All super excited about Ireland France in the Rugby World yes, Cup. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 just for the sake of my neighbours, co-workers, family and friends, I'm not going to, like, whoop and holler at all stages between now and Sunday to show my excitement. But, Owen, don't worry. I am excited. Just in case the Irish players were struggling in any way to get to the right emotional pitch this week, check this out for a list of motivational speakers who spoke to the squad last night. Okay. Henry Shefton. Right. Niall Quinn. Yeah. AP McCoy. Yeah. Sonia Sullivan. And? The Clonus Cyclone. They all spoke to the squad in one Yeah, it's like an, it's like an Eamon Dunphy dream. But in reality, it must have got to be boring. <laughs> Just how many motivational speeches can you take? Well, they like? spoke for five to ten minutes each, apparently. So nearly an hour, probably an hour altogether. Well, that's not long. I mean, apparently, Potter Harrington's famous speech to them back in 2009, before they won the Grand Slam, or in that yeah, winter before they went on and won the Grand Slam, went on for anywhere between one and seven hours, again, depending on. He was recounting it, isn't it? Really? He just wouldn't stop, Potter Carrington. So 10 minutes per person isn't exactly too much. I'd like to hear from these. It doesn't sound like you're convinced by these kind of tricks. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. You're talking about some, some great sports people there. You know, some of the top yeah. sports people. Our top guys. Had. Yeah. Our top guys. Um, so I suppose it's, it's kind of nice that they would all go and wish the rugby team well. You know, it, I suppose the gesture, someone had to go and organize that. Someone had to think of it, organize it, execute it. Mm-hmm. All of those things are are nice. The, the heart's in the right place of the gesture. Would I want to listen to an hour of motivational speaking? No. Personally, no. I wouldn't want to. But uh, you never know. I mean, I know that, that a, lot of, a lot of sportsmen, a lot of athletes are into that kind of thing. If you judge by their Instagram, they love inspirational Sayings. Oh no, I don't like inspiration. I'm not, I'm not into those inspirational one-off quotes, particularly Ken. But I mean, your job is to actually, in large part, speak to these sort of people about their motivations 
and now you're saying you're bored by that kind of talk. No, I'm not, no, motivational speaking is... It is a little different from... Oh, I couldn't. I mean, I, I wouldn't have the time for it myself. I don't, I don't think... Uh, I don't think motivational speaking gives you motivation. I, I understand, Ken. You know, high achievers, they annoy you. I would I, imagine, I understand. Yeah, I would imagine it might be less about motivating the, the troops and more about just doing something that's a bit, of, bit different and having them meet up and chat to Sonia Sullivan, Henry Shefflin and all these legends. I will say something that struck me about the photograph afterwards. Murph, Go on, I have it here in front of me. Yeah, Peter Mahoney's there, Johnny Sexton, Sean O'Brien, Tommy Bowe, and they're posing. Paul, oh, Paul, I didn't know it was Paul O'Connell. There he is, there now, yeah. yeah. Um, they're okay. all... She's not, no, Quinn's a tall man. Anyway, listen, that's not what I was going to say Perspective is doing its work yeah, there as well. Maybe He's though. pulling a little Simon Hick on it there now, Quinn. I'll tell you one thing about those, these Irish jerseys. We've noticed that they seem to be, the, they seem to be wearing very much the jerseys yes. the team would wear as opposed to the ones that are made a little bit more uh, forgiving for the general public. Yeah. My Lord. And Henry Shefflin's in it. Sonia's in it. Uh, AP McCoy's in it. And the, the jerseys are over their clothes. Can I see this? They're already very tight jerseys. Uh, and they're really, I mean, look, luckily these were talking about serious athletes here. Mm. But interestingly, Niall Quinn, the only two who've chosen not to wear the jersey and rather have just placed it in front it. of them, they're yeah. holding it in front of them. As if they've just signed for the Irish rugby. Niall Quinn and Barry McGuigan. Slightly surprised about McGuigan, Ken. Well, McGuigan, well, well, McGuigan, McGuigan wouldn't fit in that jersey. No chance. There's he just no chance ripped through it like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Too strong. Uh, too, just too too big. Too, uh, His triceps would too make much mince meat of that jersey. Mm. Would, his triceps would literally rend that garment, <laughs> top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, there's just no. There's. there's I, I, I was going to make the same point, Owen. Uh, okay. That there's just there's there is just no way that Barry McGuigan. I mean, AP McCoy. You know, he's he's. It looks quite snug on AP McCoy. AP McCoy is you know obviously the thinnest, wiriest, sport, yeah. strongest looking sportsman. You know, only recently retired, and you're looking at this going, Jesus, nerdy. Can I say something here? Is he a bit... No, he's not a bit anything. It's just these jerseys are insane. The, and especially when they put over your actual street What the hell clothes. are the RFU doing here? I'm sorry. They've gotten five small jerseys. Yeah. And they've gotten them all signed by the players. And they've just left it at that. I mean, Henry Shefflin's like bet into that. Henry Shefflin was in here last... Was it last week? Yeah, a few he's people around like, the office were talking about the, the impressive physical shape of Henry he's Shefflin. He's got like 2% body fat. <laughs> Henry Shefflin is like a triathlete. And the jersey is just too small for it. I mean, could they not have stretched? I mean, they knew the five people. It's not like there's five people standing behind a wall that they've never met before. They know the height of A.P. McCoy. I can find that in two seconds. Yeah. I can find out how tall A.P. McCoy is. I mean, a little bit of research is all I'm saying here. Further motivation for the Irish players provided by the French who've been shooting their mouth off, Simon. It's a full-on media assault on. It seems to be. They're trying to get inside Johnny's head. Full bore. Yeah, sorry, this is all directed at Johnny Sexton. Yeah, there's been loads of stuff. Obviously, Philip Saint-André and Pape being extremely sarcastic earlier in the week, but a bunch of the Racing Metro players were brought out yesterday. Jerry Thornley was uh, reporting on today. Eddie Benarus, the prop, Mm -hmm. loose head prop, who's going to almost certainly start. Uh, I know that he is slow in getting rid of the ball. I'm going to try and put the maximum pressure on him. Uh, Alexandre Dumoulin, the centre. Inevitably, his approach is certainly better at home than it was with us, uh, the French. Dumoulin goes on. Uh, there are little things like pulling his jersey that can get out of his get him out of his game. So it's like just a bunch of little barbs trying to get inside Johnny Sexton's head. And a couple of them seem to be... You mentioned a second player there was a teammate at Racing, and Lawrence Labitte, the former Racing coach, talked about him being uncontrollable this week. Uh, it's exactly the Johnny Sexton that we've heard of a million times, that he's very demanding in training. Except the they've taken it personally they, as if... They seem uh, to think he, oh, he hates, he hates us, them, yeah. and therefore we don't like him. 
I seen, and like a lot of the pl- the players seem to be back. There was the unnamed source in that story as well. Said he's the Zlatan Ibrahim- Ibrahimovic of French rugby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was it, well, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is like the best player ever to play in France. Which so. some people did raise that point. Yeah, but I think it was meant more in the sense of a guy who's a bit of a bit of a big head, thinks he's the main man, and doesn't get on well with teammates. The thing Again, is that the, they've the, seen the least happy Johnny Sexton in his rugby career, probably because. He wasn't happy for the first while he was at Racing and then he got injured and things never went particularly well there. Um, whereas at Leinster and Ireland, things have gone pretty smoothly mm. throughout. Yeah. So the combination of the language barrier and Sexton being unhappy have probably led to them thinking this is one unhappy rugby player. Which is interesting though that they, the timing of, of the debate intru- intru- uh, interview was interesting and just the fact that the players are saying these things. They're being asked about Johnny Sexton and they're, rather than saying, oh, he's a great player, they're saying, no, we're going to target him. We're going to pull his jersey. We're going to do this. It's not usually the way these things go. But a little bit later, we're going to have Matt Williams and Shane Horgan on that in a second. A little later, we're talking Michelle Platini, Ken. Mm. One, of the, one of the most iconic football players in European history. Turned political administrator. Looked like he might be going for the top job at FIFA. Well, he was going to go for it, but it looked like he had a half a chance of getting it. His political aspirations now torn to shreds. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he's been what's he, what's he alleged to have? Uh, what's the latest on the allegations? It, well, he's been suspended by the FIFA Ethics Committee for 90 days. Now, it's a provisional suspension, but I think can they I, must be reasonably confident yeah. about the grounds they have for suspending him. So maybe he can get it overturned, but if he can't, then I think he's... Uh, Centering around a payment that he received from Sepp Two million Swiss francs he received from FIFA, from FIFA in 2011 say. when he didn't work for FIFA. Hmm. He worked for UEFA. So it was a case of, well, why are FIFA, you pay, why are FIFA giving you two million francs, uh, two million Swiss francs? And he said, well, uh, they actually owed me that money for like nine years. And, <laughs> I, and only, I only asked for collection a little later on. Or they only chose to Yeah, we just got round to it. You know, they, they didn't have money at the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, the one thing that I find interesting about all this is that I, I don't think anyone really cares about, you know, the exact, what exactly happened. You know, the, this idea that, you know, they got Capone on uh, tax evasion. You know what I mean? They're like that. Basically, it doesn't. No one is prepared to. We don't think any down less down. of FIFA after today's. Well, no. It's it's more actually that it's the exact circumstances of how these people are brought down is infinitely less interesting than the fact that they've been brought down. Mm. The 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 the, the uh, public standing of FIFA is just so pathetically low like it's the Mariana Trench yeah. basically is where FIFA's integrity now lies yeah. so this idea that oh we, we need like a root and branch investigation into the exact payments here and there it's like you're part of FIFA the, the, there's nearly a presumption now which yeah although Platini a, was free of that presumption for a long time yeah, exa- uh, and yeah, UEFA was, like yeah. to see themselves as a lot more a lot more squeaky clean than FIFA have ever been which is why it's why we're talking about Platini because Blatter's also by the way been banned but we're kind of we're a bit blattered out for the, for yeah. the, tell you who I feel being. sorry for is that Blatter? no Schroenvog no who? John Delaney well, oh his best friend in football one of his good friends, uh, Michel Platini, um, a man who he had a very he, he enjoyed a close and creative working relationship with. Yeah. I mean, I imagine this is how uh, you know. If, imagine at the height of the Beatles' popularity, John Lennon had been uh, thrown in jail for tax dodging, that, and this is how Paul McCartney would have felt. You know, that's John <laughs> John Delaney now is like 
I can't believe this. You know, I, et tu, et tu, Michel. This is when Platini needs his friends more than ever, though. Yeah. Uh, stick by him in the. Well, I'm sure. I I I assume that, that John Delaney will will stick by Michel Platini. Yeah, I mean, it would be an interesting. One are the FBI? Right. Are the FBI still backing? Still backing Platini? I mean. Every man deserves to be owned, considered innocent until proven guilty. Let's do this before we get into the rugby. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my we don't normally click, broadcast click, all the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click, around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mug, mug. Click, 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 click. Today's scumbag, Yarn. Uh, from China, a Chinese scumbag. <laughs> on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we're still getting away with calling people this, right? I it's a joke. It's listen to the clip in advance. The lawyers. Anyway, uh, random fan letter from China mm-hmm. uh, is the, uh, the the subject of the, the email. Dear Second Captain's Football Podcast, my friends and I discovered your podcast during last year's World Cup and have enjoyed every episode ever since. Huh. This is from Xu Zhuan. Great. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it is just as enjoyable as any Samuel Beckett drama, by which I mean some endearing Irish blokes chatting in their endearing Irish accent <laughs> about life's lesser matters to pass the time. <laughs> lesser. And refusing to acknowledge it's all empty and futile. <laughs> Still, as a homage to you guys, as a trivial pursuit for us, we've decided we're all going to support Ireland in next year's Euro. You know, if Ireland make it. One of my friends is actually considering using some light yellow paint to transform his old Italian flag into the Republic of Ireland one. So don't say plastic fans are not dedicated. Best wishes. P.S. I thought about using some exclamation marks to make it sound more lighthearted and enthusiastic, <laughs> but was told it might come across as shouty. So now it just sounds a bit sarcastic, which was not my intention. Sorry about that. Believe me, I can communicate in my first language beautifully. So this is the best... Uh, by the way, I have to say this. This is actually the best written email. Yes, that's the best English that we've ever we received. Ever received. Yeah. Mm. So we replied. We had to reply to this, obviously. Thanks for, uh, so much for the email. Samuel Beckett comparison is the best compliment we've ever received. Your English is better than ours. Great to hear you are supporting us. Any photos of the new flag would be great. Keep in touch and don't be afraid to use exclamation marks. Exclamation mark. Ex- yeah. Very uh, silly guys. Yeah. An exclamation so, mark is like laughing at your own joke. I know. Well... I didn't. That's not my. That's. Yeah, I know. Uh, so we else. we did get a reply, and I think that well, I need to talk you through the entire email thread now. I'm sorry, but there's no way I can take a picture of the new flag. Replies Xu Zhuan. I mean, what has become of the old flag, and spread it through the internet without facing serious consequences? I read this. Oh my God! What's going is on? This the Chinese government? What's going on here? <laughs> the person responsible for the project, unfortunately, is completely free of artistic temperament. So what started out as a humorous creative endeavour has ended up as a crime of contempt. Or is it called flag desecration? It's just too horrible. Too horrible. Also, I've discovered that the Republic of Ireland flag has an aspect ratio of 1 to 2, while the Italian flag has an aspect ratio of 2 to 3. So instead of offending both the Irish and Italian people, we did the respectful thing and ordered some proper ones from the internet. But here is Second Captain's Football sharing a photo opportunity with the great Samuel Beckett. This is a Chinese text, or Waiting for Godot, in my old high school Chinese textbook. I wish I was a better student. I can't believe I didn't bother to scribble down one single note in the margin. Xu <laughs> <laughs> Zhuan, you are our favourite listener and we thank you for your correspondence. How entertaining are Samuel Beckett plays really, though? Have you ever been to one? I went to Waiting for Godot, yeah. 
I enjoyed it immensely. Oh, you did? I did, Ken. I did. I'm sorry. I went to see Endgame once. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't remember much about it. It was a long time ago. There was like a guy sitting in a bin. Yeah. You know... I must, must, must say, I wouldn't, so, wouldn't be rushing back. I studied Samuel Beckett um, in college briefly. It was one of these... <laughs> he was in a bin like so. Yeah, the hell with that? <laughs> That's what Ken said. You were shouting at the actor, Go to that bin, will you? Actually, I, I, uh, I went along with this um, Amer- a middle-aged American woman. Of course. I was like 17 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a strange situation. Uh, I've been over visiting a friend of mine in, in New York with another friend of mine. So there's three of us going yeah. over, right? But his he had this rich aunt, yeah, who who was always going to like the Lincoln Center, and she was like a patron of the opera. Like she was yeah. married, to, she was married to a partner in one of those big investment banks, you know. So yeah. he, she was like loaded, and uh, she was very cultural, you know, in the way of like a yeah a wealthy New York woman. And so she um, she then <laughs> she came over one time, and she was like, "Oh, you know, I've got you tickets for the for uh, Samuel Beckett Endgame at the Lincoln Center." And gave us, remember there's three of us, yeah. two tickets, mm. one Ouch. for me and one for my uh, New York friend, yeah. and none for my other friend. <laughs> Basically, she just didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, uh, so then my New York friend had to say, oh, this, you know, we, we can't really do it that way. Like, I mean, you're going to have to. So I ended up going along with her, uh, with a friend of hers. Ah. Oh. It was pretty weird. It was, okay. uh, but yeah, I mean, the play itself. You got it. That's the wrong call, by the way. You what? take one. You, you just if you have three tickets for two people, you yeah. don't give away one and then make it one one ticket for. Yeah, I mean you're you're insulting the other two. You got so to choose between those two. Two of you insult yeah. one. Yeah. No, it was the two. Uh, no, I mean I could go into it. I could explain to you why it was the right call, but no one is really that interested. And we do in this. It And also, I've nobody seemed interested at all in the fact that I was about to tell a Samuel Beckett story. But listen, it's done. Oh. Oh, even know, no, no, I'll, I'll come back no. to it later. I'll come back to it later. Oh, we got to no. start. We got to start talking rugby. Shane Horgan's ready to go. Matt Williams. Is in studio, Matt. How are you? Excited? Yeah, it's hard to be, not be excited. It's just been such a fantastic World Cup, and we're getting down to some really great fixtures, some great games, and the drama and theatre. It's uh, it's been beyond everyone's expectations, I think. Yeah, and now the Ireland stuff really starts. You know, this is what everyone's been saying for ages. But uh, to to trot out the cliche again, the World Cup starts. World Cup starts. It's yeah, just yeah. reality. You know, they, there's you, you've in reality you've got another eight days, nine days, and if you don't perform. They'll be back in the country in nine days' time, and that's just the brutal reality of World Cups. You lose the game, 10 a.m. the next morning, you're out of the hotel. Yeah. The um, French seem to have been, even the players seem to have been launching a bit of a campaign against Johnny Sexton. Uh, well, there was the Laurence Labide, one of the coaches of France, so there was his interview earlier in the week, which was widely quoted when he's talking about Sexton's manner and how sometimes his abrasiveness verged on insults to other players. He was really uncontrollable, is the way it was translated. But this was added to Alex Dumoulin as another one of his teammates there, and he says, yeah, his approach is certainly better at home than it was with us, the French. Uh, uh, quite a few of the other players talk about how they're going to target him. What do you think they're trying to do here to, uh, with this with the Sexton talk, do you think? It's interesting. Uh, I mean, Shaggy uh, would know, uh, played with Johnny more than, than I have dealt with him. But, uh, you know, Johnny's a very high achiever and a demander. And probably the, the uh, culture at Leinster that was established by, by guys like Dennis and Brian and, and Brian O'Driscoll and Shane was a very demanding culture. And, and that was something that people would demand of each other. And he, 
I, I always remember Rocky Ilsom telling the story that Johnny came in his first session, he was yelling at him, telling, as in Johnny was yelling at Rocky Ilsom, who was probably the greatest six in the world, that's those telling him where to go. And I would imagine having coached in France. They don't like that. That's, that's very culturally foreign to them, especially a 10. They'll probably take it more from a nine in <laughs> France, but they don't, uh, they don't take to that. Shane, do you think they may have seen something, uh, whether they're right or wrong, a weakness in Sexton mentally that if they target him in the media that it might get to his performance on the field? I think it shows something else. I think it shows a recognition that they um, they they recognise that Johnny's really important to Ireland, critical to Ireland, and that um, the level of, of uh, the player that he is um, that he, you know he's crucial to to Ireland having success or um, stopping him and stopping his gameplay is crucial to France doing what they want to do. And I think it's sort of a backhanded compliment in many ways that this week is all about Johnny Sexton. You know, there's a lot of big names in that French team. Um, there's other names in the Irish team that are big as well, but the focus is on Sexton. Whether they think it'll rattle him or not, I'm not so cer- certain. Um, I don't think you know any of the failings that they may have perceived to have been in, in Johnny's game um, while he was in France. I don't think it was because he could be affected by media chat. So I just think it may be a, you know, um, a frustration on their part and also a recognition that uh, Johnny is the, you know, is the main man for Ireland. It's a funny one, Shane, because you know, obviously the journalists, the Labitte interview came out and then the journalists are going to follow up on that. All the French ones in particular are going to, and even the Irish journalists at the French press conference are going to ask the players. They seem to have good access to the players there as well because there's a lot of different quotes from different guys. But say even, you know, a, a player can say nothing if he wants to, but say Eddie Benarus says, yeah, I know that um, in terms of will you target Sexton, I know he's slow in getting rid of the ball. I'm going to try and put the maximum pressure on him. I'm going to hunt him down as often as possible. Now we know that of course that's what he's going to do and that's what all the French players are going to do but I did find it interesting that they're stating it so openly, not for the first time. I mean we remember when he's come back from the concussions they're all saying yeah listen we'll, we'll see what happens when Bastero runs down his channel. Yeah, but also you have to remember as well, he is probably, you know, the, the, he's the only one they probably know that well because he is the star of Ireland and now that Brian is gone, um, maybe with the exception of, of Paul O'Connell, but, you know, he definitely is in, in that class. And then he's the only one that's play, played in France as well. So they're aware of him. They're going to be asked about him. It's more quotable. They can, they can, they can give an opinion on him. Um, with more information because you know yeah. many of them would have played against them and not just for France but for Ireland but you're right the fact that they're um, tar- they, you know they're picking up elements of, of his gameplay and saying that they're going to target in on that it's, you know it's kind of surprising that they're that open um, whether they've done it with other uh, players um, I'm not I'm not aware that they have done that um, but I always think that that kind of giving away those little snippets of information you know I think that's going to be a positive for Ireland because um, it's very clear that they're going to have a focus on Johnny, and you know he, that uh, quote there that you know Johnny holds on to the ball for for a, a, you know a, a fraction longer than most tens. I think again that's because he is drawing players to him, and um, you know Johnny will be aware of that he'll be aware that there might be a potential for a late hit, but he'll also be um, now aware that there's going to be a back row that's flying towards him, and when that is happening, and you're, you're you know you're aware that that's going to happen, that leaves options on inside and outside, and the pass might be distributed a little bit earlier, or it may not be. It may be distributed just at the right time. So I think you know from an Irish perspective, you're getting a couple of little triggers there and a couple of keys that might be actually effective um, as as weapons in your armory. 
Shane, uh, I think it's very enjoyable and humorous to hear that a prop wants to get hold of a 10 as well. <laughs> you might be hunting him down, but I have a fair bit of money, you'll never catch him. <laughs> and and Shane's right, that, that try last week, uh, Keith Earl's try, was because Johnny Sexton's got the rare ability of, of, out, of an out half to take the ball to the line and uh, to do exactly what Shane said, to attract the defence to him. And the angles that, that, that uh, Henshaw ran after that were fantastic, but Johnny attracted defenders. Just as we saw Foley do for Australia, where he hit the line flat. And in the opposite far, uh, uh, side of that is Farrell stays very deep for England the other week and attracted no one. And that's been part of England's problem and it's part of Ireland's strength. I've been saying, I don't know what Shane thinks, but I'd like Johnny to do it more. I think it's something that's dropped out of his game in the last 12 months um, when they're playing a lot more of of the plays where he gets the second touch. And I don't think that'll work. I think the, the faster line speed will, will shut Johnny down on the second touches. But I love seeing him taking it to the line and bring in his forward runners, you know, Shane, uh, Sean O'Brien or, or uh, Jamie Huzip on his inside. And then he's got Henshaw changing angles on his outside or Brian Winger. That's where he's at his best. And uh, I, I certainly hope the French fall for it because I think it'll be a great hole for Johnny. Shane Sexton's had his own little bit to say this week in a far more subtle way, actually. It was put to him, you, you'd uh, criticised his tackle technique, um, saying it was a little bit high on occasions and just for his own longevity and just for greater effectiveness to, to vary it a little bit. And that was actually put to him. Um, and he said, well, I think it's up to referees as well to focus on guys who are leading with their head and their elbows. Um, as in the players. As in the French in players. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a kind of pretty direct um, reference to Bastereau, <laughs> yeah. I think. Um, you think you, you cracked that code? Simon was over. Subtle. Yeah, it was an overnight job, and we finally <laughs> yeah, got there. Yeah. yeah, really, really subtle by Johnny there as well, and he does have a point because I've I've watched a lot of those impacts um, back since, and um, Bastro does. It's it's two. Con, there's two concerns. I think um, we talk a lot about the uh, tackle technique, and I I did um, you know mention that in, in an article. And I still think that is is the case. And I think there's this fault very often when those collisions occur, there's fault on both sides. Bastro does lead very much um, with his upper body. And, uh, and uh, in effect, um, you know, he was a quite an upright runner. And his, his head does get very close, especially when he's looking for that bounce off. That as, um, is a problem, actually, for referees. And I've seen a couple of times this um, tournament as well that there's been a big lead you know, big lead with the with the knee as well, and you know those things are you know potentially long term concerns uh, for for rugby actually because the amount of uh, head injuries that uh, can can occur off the basis of getting uh, you know a leading knee in the head or a clash of heads from a, from someone leading with, with, who's a very upright running style. But I think you know. Johnny is, is, is grasping straws a little bit when it comes to whether a referee is going to um, is going to pull up Bastro on his running style. He's but, you but know to Alagi uh, just got a five week ban for leading with the knee. It's it's suddenly something that World Rugby are looking at. I think it could be quite influential. I think that's why Sexton was saying it was putting a little no caution in Nigel Owens's head for the for the weekend. I, I, you know what? I do think that there's a, there is a difference, though, between leading with the knee, and we saw uh, two lagging. We saw, and it's not the first time we've seen him do it. Actually, there's been a number of occasions in this World Cup. I, I think that the, um, the 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 knee's been led with, and they haven't received a similar uh, suspension as. Um, 
um, as uh, Tulangi did. Um, now, um, I think that the, the concern about trying to pick someone leading with a head like Bastro with that upright runner, it's more difficult to say that there's an intention there and to, to blow it. Now, I think that's the kind of thing that would have to, it's not going to be called on the field um, uh, this uh, Sunday, but it may be something that has to be looked at, at uh, on a rule, you know, by the rule makers as opposed to a referee's interpretation this weekend. It's it's very difficult, Shane, isn't it? Because when you come into contact, we are, you know, that you're allowed to push people away. You're allowed to push the defender away, and you could. We actually use the term bumper bars. We you actually put up your arm to, yeah. and a lot of it is to protect yourself and to try and push a defender away so you can get through a hole, which is the whole. The entire purpose of the game is to carry the ball forward. And, you know, obviously every time there is something in the game that is is proper, people tend to change it to do something illegal. Yeah, you bend, you bend whatever's there. Yeah, yeah, but it's also, to be fair to the ball carriers, sometimes it's very hard to, to time that. You know, you've got a big man coming at you, running at you very fast, and you're putting your hand up. Sometimes you do collect that guy across the throat, or you know, and it's. I'm sure Shane's had it done to him many times. We all, I think every guy that's played the game, and and it's not always with with malintent. There is a, it is a contact situation, and and by its very definition, you do have contact. Now, there is a high tackle technique, and it comes from rugby league, and of course it ties up the ball, and you coach it. Okay, we have, especially in closer forwards running close to ruck two big forwards, you come in and we call it high focus tackle, and they tie up the ball. The Irish choke tackle that, that Les Kisses coached so effectively is high, high focus. You hold the, the man up, you attack his triceps so you get hold of him, his levers, and then a third guy comes in from behind and does a bear hug. They are high focus tackles. That's, that's the technique. comes from rugby league. But I tell you, if you do a high focus tackle, you're just as likely to get an elbow, a shoulder, or a jaw of the opposite man or a forehead hit you in the head. That's the negative. If you come down low... And I always say when you play Polynesian boys, you don't take them around the knees because that's such a hard-moving part. You don't want to tackle a guy around the knees. You want to take him around the midriff where it's not moving. Mm. So th- this isn't just black and white and these guys are illegal and it's bad. Th- there, is, there is a greyness in this uh, that, that is very difficult for, for everyone involved. Matt Jarrett-Payne. Oh, sorry, Shane, you want to come back yeah, in there? And yeah, and you're dead right because uh, what, what complicates matters as well, uh, as Matt said, um, the very often big bulk carriers uh, that are low centre of gravity and sort of have big glutes, big quads, that's a very difficult, uh, you know, tackle to make around them because that's one of their most you know, that's where they derive all their power from but um, I do think uh, you know the choke tackle is I think is something a little bit different because generally it's not a collision tackle it's not as impactful yeah, it's more about sort of a, a quite an upright mm. uh, tackle and numbers in and and, uh, and almost smothering the ball carrier but where I think you see the problem is and I think the technique flaw is where people go almost chest to chest mm. now I think you can, you can have a high hit as long as you it's a shoulder hit yes. and there's still some sort of bend at the waist but at the moment what we're seeing a lot of you know ball carriers running in as Matt said with the bumper bars and the tackler chest out and you're very exposed then to a big collision on the chest and then a glancing blow on the head and I think you know it is something that um, you know players have to have to watch out for especially in that 10-12 channel where a lot of the power runners are, are, are attempting to make yards In terms of team selection lads um, Jared Payne's back in contention Matt you were quite critical of him after the wasn't it the Romania game uh, your last because it sounds like you got a bit of uh, a bit of comeback on that one. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to say what you think anymore, are you? You know that's uh, it's it's a bit disappointing what happened. But look, that's life. Well, what's uh, uh, what's the disappointing part? Are people not entitled to have their opinion that, that counters yours? Yeah, they're, they're absolutely. Um, 
it's just a bit, uh, you're not allowed to say too many negative things about a team in green at the moment. Even, even when you're saying, look, I think if we put Keith Earls there, we'd have a bit more. You know? Is that the sense you're getting? That oh, yeah. everyone wants to get on the sort of bandwagon and don't want to hear anything negative? Yep. Really? Uh, Ex-players, yeah. particularly? Oh, you know, I think, I think there's a bit of, of everything. You know, look, look, I think there's a reality that, in my opinion, uh, we're not scoring enough tries. And, uh, you know, the, the, why is that? If you look at the game, look at the World Cup and look at the wins, you, these teams are scoring great tries. So we're going to have to score great tries to do it. So what are France going to do? You shut down Sexton, you shut down the team because no one else is making the breaks apart from getting the ball wide. Now, we're getting around teams. They're tier three teams we're getting around. We're not getting around other teams. So if, if Johnny's not kicking the ball forward and not taking us forward through his own, there's not a lot of go forward there. Now, in my opinion, Jared Payne is a fullback playing outside centre and he's done very well defensively. And we've choked Six Nation wins. We've choked two Six Nations. Has been wonderfully running rugby and it's been effective rugby and I'm not questioning the effectiveness of that rugby nor am I degrading the, the wonderful uh, performances of the Irish team. It's the exact opposite. I'm saying what do we need to go further and deeper into the Rugby World Cup? Now we've seen a revolution at this World Cup which is glorious. They're running the ball and I'm, I'm just so delighted and shag with no mindfully you've got to run the ball, you've got to move the ball and it's wonderful and we're not keeping up with that pace. Right now, if you put Jared there, who's obviously a fine player and a fine man, and the guys love playing with him, it's not a questioning the man or his or his his determination for the team. What I'm saying is, as an outside centre, he is not breaking the line. That's my argument. Mm. Now, the negative of putting Earls there, we're caught. We're, we're in a catch twenty two. Keith's only played one or two games here in the last three years. A few years ago, I thought he was the heir apparent to Brian, and I would have loved to seen him at thirteen. For Ireland, uh, for Munster and Ireland, so he got a long time in that position. That didn't occur for a number of reasons. One is Munster had some foreign players in, and he got a few injuries, so he found himself coming back on the wing. So he hasn't got the time there. Now we're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. So I think they will pick Jarrah Payne there. What's the plus? I think he'll defend very well. What's the negative? I don't think he'll cut through them. Shane, your thoughts on Payne? I'm just really surprised to hear how, how um, touchy Matt Williams is over there. Again, <laughs> taking a bit of stick, Matty. Um, I'm I, like Johnny, Matt. I'm looting with my jaw. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't realise you were such a sensitive soul. <laughs> you know um, me, Shang. I'm a, a little violet, you know that. Um, but listen, I understand the point Matt is making, and I think there's a legitimacy in it. What I'd say is I don't think... I think that we it would be nicer to have uh, a more attacking 13, but I don't think we have that at the moment. Um, as Matt points out, um, Keith Earls hasn't played a lot of game time at 13, and to be honest with you, I don't think he ever looks comfortable as a 13, and I think he's a very instinctive player, and that um, works very well for him on the wing. And at the moment, we, you know, I wouldn't have seen him up until the warm-up games. I wouldn't have seen him as a first-choice winger for Ireland. But he has played so remarkably well in this World Cup um, and the lead-up to it. I think it's actually difficult to leave him out. Um, but I do think we should leave him in the position that he's been most successful for Ireland. Ireland's leading try scorer in World Cup on the wing. Um, and I think that change to move um, Jared Payne out and put him in, I just think you know, it would be a little bit foolhardy at this stage. Um, so what you're really thinking is what are the different options then at 13 and, and the other real option that you're talking about is maybe Luke Fitzgerald and would he make a considerable difference 
He may do, but unfortunately, um, he hasn't played enough at 13 really to take that opportunity um, at this point and go into a France game with the risk that that would involve. And, you know, Jared Payne's game is limited, right? He's not, and I don't think Matt is comparing him to Brian O'Driscoll, just a more potent threat as an outside centre, right? And I don't think he's as potent necessarily as we want or potentially that we need to win a World Cup. But he's probably the best one we have there at the moment. And I don't completely um, agree with Matt with regard that, you know, he is one of the key factors in stunting our, our movement of a ball wide because... Yeah, we've had a lot of um, performances that have been a little bit stunted um, for Ireland over the last 18 months while still winning. But you have to draw back to that game against Scotland when we needed to have ambition, we needed to show that we could do it, and our collective mindset was ambitious. And in those circumstances, we moved the ball brilliantly, moved across, uh, very fluidly across the back line, we took risks and we scored tries. So I don't think, I think it's too much to dump that uh, or to, to dump on um, pain the, the inability to, to get a back line moving. Because I think if the, the collective mindset is right, and it hasn't always been for Ireland and it's sometimes been enough to win, but if the collective mindset is right and ambitious, we can play that sort of rugby that Australia play. Maddie, the feeling over the last few years with France, the three key advantages we've had over them have been having a better number 10, having a better coaching structure and being fitter to them. And the suggestion is now that France actually have caught up in that regard. They've been really focusing on that over the last few weeks. Is that a hugely significant thing? Because we've kind of clung on in those Six Nations games, but maybe just been that little bit more mobile and and survived. Yeah, I think it is because... Uh, as we said on the show the other week, comparing France to your annual Six Nations to the the, the World Cup, which is every four years, is totally different. And the, the big reason is they've been together for so long now. They came together, I think it was June June 10, June 12, something like that. They they started their first assembly. Now, that, that French side that we'll face on Sunday is a totally different animal to the French sides we face in the Six Nations that have this shockingly interrupted preparation and um, also in their style of rugby they're playing they are trying to to move the ball much more than I've seen them in the last few years it's not been particularly successful um, and they score a try and they do it they're giving you a moment of brilliance and then we have 10 12 moments of of disorganization they've settled on Michelac um, we all are completely unsure that he is the answer for French rugby, and maybe that's a plus for us this week. But I've got to give Freddie the credit, if I'm going to criticise him, which I have, I've got to give him the credit. He's played very well. Mm. He's played better than I thought he would. And they've selected, their selection has been a lot more, uh, a lot less erratic. Yeah, way more consistent. Yeah. And, and look, I think they're going to be a very difficult boost than the one uh, we played back in March. And and to our to our detriment, I think they're they're uh, much more organised. And I'll, I'll give you an idea of their uh, their fitness. You know, Pickamoles has lost I'd say seven or eight kilos. And you look across the board at at their forwards, they've gone the line of New Zealand, and they've all lost weight. Yeah, Dar- Gordon Darcy made the point. I think about Bastro as well. You, you, just the way he looks in the shirt is a little bit different. They all look like they're the sort of optimum physical shape. Jeez, mate, I, I, I'd have the exception with Matthew. Really? <laughs> I think. I, you know, he frustrates me because he's such a fabulous athlete and I just don't understand why he carries the weight he does. Right, okay. And I, I still think he's overweight. But you look at, at uh, you know, even Dussetois this late in his career, he looks in magnificent shape. Their, their front rowers, their, all their props have lost 
considerable amount of weight, mm. and they're still and and their, their bench. This is this is the one other thing that we perhaps haven't got to. Their bench is now not as good as New Zealand, but it's a very formidable bench, especially scrum time. They'll really come out and put it on us. You know, Fiku on the bench, which I suspect, uh, you know, is another very powerful centre to come off. They've they've got Para comes on who accelerates the game and and is much more a general at nine, a very different player. I, I would start Para, but I don't think he will. They're, they're a very formidable team. Shane? Yeah, they are. They're, um, their power... Um, is scary and I think that is what will be foremost in the Irish minds I think Matt is correct um, that physically they look much better than they have done they're, they're, they'll fitter but they'll be fresher which is more important um, than they would be in the Six Nations I do think that their uh, gameplay has um, has improved um, because they spent a longer time together. But I do still think that, and it's an unusual thing to say historically with the French, but I think that their skill level is lacking, um, especially the way they uh, you know, move the ball across the back line. Um, they're not a team that attacks um, the, the line flat, although Michelac is is a, a, a flat-line attacker, but he's only a flat-line attacker pretty much when he's carrying the ball himself or giving a very short pop-off to someone on the inside or the outside. Otherwise, if he's going to move the ball, he likes the comfort of that extra little bit of depth and the same uh, w- with his kicking position. So he is quite readable. Um, so I think from from that perspective, I think Ireland have, will have a better, a more developed game plan. And I think we actually have probably... Uh, I, uh, apart from the offload, I think we have a more um, developed skill set than, than France. But uh, because of the, the, their capacity to just overrun a team with power and physicality, if we're not 100% on in that department, the rest of the things won't matter. And you know, similar to you know, the Springboks when they're playing and the way they play. Um, if you don't match them with um, the physical intensity that they bring to the game, then you might have the best tactical plays or you might have the most skillful players in the world, but you won't be at the races and you'll never have a chance to implement them. So first and foremost, we have to compete on that level. And if we can get power on, the, on that point, I think uh, we have an edge on the rest. Matt, just a very quick word on the other game of the weekend, Wales against Australia. I mean, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the Welsh performances so far. They were bashed up against England, got the win. They were. I've never seen a team as exhausted as they were against Fiji. And they clung on there. Is this too much to ask to beat this inform Australia team? Well, I take my hat off to them. They've they've been magnificent. You know, you, 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 you someone involved in the sport, and you want to beat them and all that. But at a certain point, you sit back and you go, you know, that is that has been incredibly yeah, b- courageous. Ballsy, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, take my hat off to them. Look, I think they've had a good break since uh, since that Fiji game. A bit like France, they've had a nine day break. Um, I think, and Australia have beaten them nine in a row, which is. Awful. So you say you often say we'll beat them nine times out of ten. Well, this is the ten, uh, and we'll Hooper's out. Uh, Falau we'll hear about. I think Falau will play. Sounds like today they're saying he's going to be up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think Drew Mitchell coming in the wing. I would have had him there anyway. Uh, look, it's going to be close, but I think Australia, if they can replicate anywhere near the form they've had in the last few weeks, last few outings, they'll be too much. The problem Australia has one big performance. The next performance hasn't been as good. And uh, whether they can recover emotionally, because that was what well, was a, a night of incredible lows for England. It was a very high night for uh, Australia, and we've seen teams not recover from that emotional high. Yeah. Chex is doing a great job with them, though. Yeah. I, again, I take my hat off to them. I, I think Australia will win and finish that pool first, which is a fantastic uh, bonus because you're going to pick up Scotland. 
Mm. And that's a for Australia, you'd, you'd say they're going to beat Scotland, and that's a good step into a semi-final. So, from the pool of death is the is the pool of opportunity as well. Okay, and Ireland France, quick predictions, Shane. Um, oh, I'm really I, I'm uh, really torn on it. Um, I do think Ireland have a have a performance in them. I think if they play with ambition, they can beat the French team. And uh, if nothing else, my uh, put my. Um, Patriots a hat on and go for Ireland this weekend. Matt? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm with uh, Shane. I, I think the intensity has to be up considerably from the uh, Italian game. And I don't mean 5 or 10%. I mean, that was if that if that's the intensity, we'll, we'll get beaten well. I'm not as, you know, I'd love to see Ireland win. I want to see Ireland win. But I, I think France might be too much. Fair enough. Listen, great stuff, Matt. Shane, brilliant. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Mel. Brilliant shot with the the boys as ever. So I want to just go back to the Jared Payne situation there, which Matt seems to have been getting quite a bit of flack over by the sounds of things. Uh, would you put him straight back in the team? I would, just because, well, it's not as if Keith Rhodes was playing so well in the attacking side of things that um, it would cover up for his inferiority in terms of defence relative to Payne. Um, and I think the French are so strong in the centre. It's probably where they're strongest, actually, for Fan and Bastereau. And you can still be... Well, Mr. Shane reckons you, you can still play with ambition even without a, a, a second centre who's particularly well, I th- gifted I think Terry Payne is a little bit out of form. I think he's better than what he's played in the last few games. Yeah. So if he plays to form, he's actually quite a good player. But there isn't actually very many second centres that are burning people at the moment. Manon, who's kind of rare enough, Fafana and Bastereau... They swap around, but there isn't too many centres that are cleaning through people anyway. Your prediction? France. <laughs> just, just, just for the better of a listener, Simon looked shocked by that question. He's like, this, this is a bowl from the blue. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, what? I never in a million years expected You can't expose me on air like I think it might be a draw, actually. A draw? Yeah. And then we go through, don't we? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We, we go through top. Yeah, yeah, we'd have the extra... Um, We've drawn with them twice in the last in four, last years, four years. years. Yeah, yeah. So possible. All right, the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now, but get it quick. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. I want down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. <laughs> Well, Alan Ritchie was in to talk to us about um, the Ireland match tonight and uh, some of the uh, issues around the preparation. Issues around the preparation? There haven't really been any issues. We built up to Ireland, Jeremy. That's the bit that I was saying. If you, if you only have a bit of time, you're listening to this around 7 o'clock, something like that, on mm. Thursday evening, go listen to the Ritchie part of the chat mm-hmm. because that's sort of time-specific, let's be honest about it. Mm-hmm. But then 
take your time. Come back after the game or tomorrow anytime yeah. to our Packy Bonner interview. Yeah, we got Packy Bonner in as well. He's got a autobiography out now, so he came in and was talking to us about uh, a few of this stuff. Things rising. Let's uh, stick with the football for the time being. Michel Platini has been suspended by F- FIFA. We've chatted a bit about this earlier on, but Philippe Claire of France Football is ready to talk about, I suppose, the implications of this, Philippe. Is this the end of Platini's political career? Um, too early to say that because um, it is a professional suspension. Uh, there are indications from the Platini camp that he still in- intends to be a candidate uh, for the um, post of a uh, uh, president of FIFA, the election being on 26 February. Um, it's going to be a bit tough, though, because uh, obviously his candidacy has got to be uh, not endorsed by, of course, five federations. That shouldn't be a problem. But also it has to be approved by the um, electoral committee of FIFA. And it's fairly difficult to imagine that they could validate the candidacy of somebody who's been suspended uh, from the organization. So whether his uh, political career is over uh, at the age of 60, I think it's a little bit too early to say, but his image has taken a real, really, really serious knock. And you can you can see already quite a few people um, leaving the boat that they think is uh, is going to sink. Um, so, yeah, it's very bad news. And I would say that on the balance of probability, uh, it would be very difficult for him to uh, certainly to, uh, to 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 fight for, for the presidency of, of FIFA. With the new FIFA, more difficult to say if in the end uh, the investigation by the Swiss Attorney General finds out that there is nothing that he should be held responsible for. We might see a comeback, but it um, doesn't look that way at the moment. Uh, I mean, his problem has to do with this payment of two million Swiss francs in, in 2011. Mm-hmm. What's his explanation for that? I mean, what's, what, what's he kind of said that, that justifies the payment? He's, he actually, I mean, what he said is that, I wouldn't say it's contradictory. It's not contradictory, but is it's still bits of the story, but not the whole story. Uh, <laughs> He says that, um, you know, he, he, it's true he was employed by FIFA uh, from 1998 onwards as a special uh, advisor to on football matters um, to Seb Blatter. And um, he was, uh, he had a huge office near the Palais Royal in Paris and he had staff there. Um, and um, well, he did some work, but he was paid for this work and contracts have been produced apparently. Uh, which showed that he was paid between 200 uh, and 500,000 Swiss francs per year, which is not a small sum. But uh, according to him, there was still money owed, and um, the money was only paid in 2011 um, to the tune of those 2 million francs, Swiss francs. Um, and what is, uh, what is strange is that it seems there is no contract for that. It was just a verbal agreement. And why this delay when he hasn't, he said it was because FIFA didn't have the funds to pay him such a sum at the time. And the accounts of FIFA showed they had the, quite a, I mean, they had actually already quite a big surplus back in 2002, 2003. So the story doesn't seem to hold too well. And also, obviously, the, the timing of the, the actual payment Um just after Michel Platini went to Kuala Lumpur to see Mohammed bin Hammam, um, just before uh, Joseph Blatter um, obtained Michel Platini's support for the presidential election. <laughs> uh, all this is, of course, uh, it might be a coincidence, but it's a coincidence that has many people think quite deeply about um, those circumstances. Yeah. I mean, everyone, you know, you, you see all that information, people will draw their conclusions, but... 
uh, France Football, your magazine, and and the Keep the French Media have have kind of been onto this story for a couple of days now, I think. And and Platini was criticising uh, this leak and calling it insidious. Um, uh, the leak turned out obviously to be accurate. Um, he uh, Platini thinks somebody's out to get him. Who's who's out to get him? What? Why is this? Why is this? Why are things suddenly caving in on him in this way? People briefing against him, leaking. Uh, what turns out to be accurate information. Why is this happening to him now? Well, I think nobody um, is unaware of the fact that Michel Platini and uh, Seb Blatter are, are more than rivals. They're enemies. And that uh, the relationship between the two has soured to the point that um, Seb Blatter will do everything in his power and probably has done everything in his power to prevent Michel Platini to be um, his successor. So... That's a possible explanation. Um, Michel Platini has had uh, actually a pretty easy ride in the media, I must say, uh, up until very recently, particularly in the French media. I mean, you were quoting and naming my my magazine, France Football. Um, We've been pretty much on our own for a very long time. It was a very lonely place to be, uh, to dare to attack, uh, well, to attack, not to attack, to dare to publish uh, information that might... uh, uh, be uh, negative about about Michel Platini, and the, the press was literally um, licking his feet uh, in in France. This is not quite the case today, but honestly, I, I I think it's a conversation we should have again in about a week's time because I think people are just trying to find them you know new marks, so to speak, at the moment. They they're a little bit disorientated uh, because uh, first of all, Platini was never a man that was sus- suspected of of uh, corruption. Or receiving money from which he shouldn't be uh, entitled to—that's one thing. Um, and then we have this um, this story about the two million francs, other stories as well. Fatin Circuit. I mean, which is very, very strange because nobody really thought of him as this type of person. And um, on the other hand, um, there's Platini, the politician. He's always been very careful to present himself as a non-politician, which, of course, that is a big joke, (laughs) because that's exactly what he's been for a very long time. And I think that uh, people are perhaps buying less into the white knight image that he uh, tried to project and that his camp has tried to project uh, for quite a while now. Uh, That's very interesting. Yeah. Yes. And I'm particularly interested in the fact that you think this this may change, this perception may change over the last week because, because of course, he's been a politician for a long time, but he was... a footballing hero before that. And that's where he differs from Sepp Blatter and Jack Warner and all these guys who exist in our consciousness only as sporting politicians. And by just by definition of that term, we don't trust them. Whereas Platini has this, uh, has this previous life. Is that, will that buy him quite a bit of slack from the French public over the coming days, do you think? The fact that he is still, in, in certainly depending on your age, in, in the memory is this great player. Yes, um, it it has played in its favour in the past. It is still playing in its favour at the moment. I'm, I've read a few reactions and comments here and there already uh, in the French media, which uh, uh, say that he's a victim of a, a cabal or um, you know a plot, mm. uh, which is of course directed by uh, by Sepp Blatter. And obviously, people when you think about Platini, people from the people of my generation, for example, he's an absolute hero. Um, and it's very, very difficult to, to, to stomach all this, whether you think he is guilty of something or completely innocent. It's very, very difficult to, to accept. 
and it will buy him some time and some sympathy. Uh, but I think people will just be waiting for the results of the investigation uh, by uh, by Michael Lobert. And uh, if indeed something is found, maybe, maybe people will start looking at him in different way in France. I mean, and perhaps they will look, uh, think again about um, his support for, for Qatar uh, after having promised his vote to, to the U.S., the fact that he was uh, influenced uh, by Nicolas Sarkozy, the president of the French Republic, um, all those perhaps sides of his uh, UEFA um, presidency, for example, uh, the way UEFA has tackled um, problems in Turkish football or problems with Olympiacos. I can't go into details, but there are loads of things which people might start to look at, uh, or the award of the 2012 Euros to uh, Poland and Ukraine. You know, and maybe people will have a different way to look at his record Mm. as a UFA chairman. But again, I think it's, it's a little bit early to think that that's it, that Platini is uh, to what Linton purposes. I mean, he's somebody who is not going to be part of the footballing landscape in the future. I think that's um, a little bit early to say that. Philippe, the FIFA presidential election or the, or the Congress to decide the new FIFA president, the special Congress, is going to be in February. So yep. um, it, it seems like, I mean, Platini, you know, I don't know if he, if you would have considered him a likely president, but he's certainly a candidate, one probably the highest profile candidate that was going to be in there. And now it's, you know, it looks as though he probably won't be involved. Um, and, and FIFA, I mean, there's so many of the major figures have kind of gone down in flames, really. <laughs> who Who is going to be, who, who are the candidates? I mean, are we, are we talking about Prince Ali of Jordan? Is he likely to be the FIFA president? You know, the field has, has thinned out a lot. Who, who do you think is going to emerge? I think there are more, more people to emerge. I mean, the... Um the, the date, uh, the cutout date is 26th of October uh, to present uh, the candidates. And you can do that until the very last minute. For example, uh, Seb Blatter did it, I think, the, on the eve of the cutout date uh, for the, uh, the last election. Um, Prince Ali Sutton has been a very good day for him uh, in many, many ways because he appears completely uh, untainted compared to the others. Um, the, the There are no real, I mean, I... There has to be a, a UEFA candidate uh, if, if Michel Platini um, doesn't um, is, is not is not able to to uh, to bid for the presidency himself. There has to be a UEFA candidate, and perhaps I don't know if Michael van Pry, uh the Dutchman, will do it, or perhaps Niesbach, the uh, the German. Um, uh, many people are also looking at Domenico Scala, uh, who, is, who is the head of. Uh, audit of and compliance within FIFA and is somebody who's been an integral part of the reform process, which is leading to all this. And um, perhaps he's got presidential ambitions. I mean, he's got uh, certainly the, uh, the, the know-how uh, in terms of the politics, which, uh, which go with the, with the job. Um, and I think there, there will be more. But um, at the moment, the extraordinary thing is that we have at the helm of FIFA, if only until 26th February, we've got this area too. And at the head of USA, we've got uh, Angel Maria Villalona. So uh, not two people who come without uh, a certain amount of baggage, I should say. <laughs> okay, Philippe. So we're very far from the brave new world, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a fair point. Listen, Philippe, brilliant as always. Thanks a million. Thank you. Do you see where I'm going with that, Ken? The, just about Platini maybe having more to lose than some of these other people who were nothing in the eyes of the world, became something by climbing up the that greasy cesspool of sports politics. Mm. Can you climb up a cesspool? Anyway, uh, Michel Platini has this image of a football hero, which 
he also loses if, or, which is also tainted if he is taken down in this uh, way. No? no, he doesn't. He doesn't lose it. You can't take it away. I mean, you know, he scored eight goals in Euro '84. Was it eight? Of course. Uh, well, you can't. Of course, he, you can take that away. But always, he's always going to be that guy. I mean, not for a younger generation who'll just be reading about this. Uh, so still, so far, allegedly corrupt politician. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Platini has has been a bad UEFA president. I think he. I don't think he's. I can't really think of anything good that he's done. Actually. When I when I think back over his time, I don't really see the innovations. Financial fair play has been abandoned. You know, that doesn't even really exist anymore. Worth a try. Uh, It wasn't even his idea. (laughs) It wasn't even his idea to begin with. That could be Patini's epitaph as you have worth a try. Worth a try. Financial fair play wasn't even Patini's original idea. It was the previous guy, um, Johansson, who had kind of begun to set the ball rolling on that. I mean. Patini eventually brought in something like it, and then now it now pretty much seems to have been retired. Uh, he expanded the Euros. I don't know if that necessarily improves them. I mean, we're in a position where we could get into a playoff for the Euros despite drawing and possibly <laughs> like not beating any of the other good teams in our group. We could get there drawing and losing with the other three good teams in our group. Mm-hmm. In each this result. is not the... I feel that we could probably have this conversation some other time, but yeah. for, for now, Ken... That talk of us limping to a uh, Euro playoff is, God damn it, Ken, I don't want to hear it. Okay, look, I, yeah, I mean, Patini, I, I don't think, you can't take away what he, his achievements as a player. They are, they, they exist and they're real. Um, but as a politician, I think he's used that. He's used his playing reputation to build this political career. It hasn't come out of any real particular gifts that he had in the area of politics in uh, any great innovations or ideas that he ever brought he was always just Michel Platini, the France and Juventus legend, and that has been enough to sort of get him to this, uh, get him to this uh, position in in life, you know, and um, and that's really all he's ever had going for him. Jurgen Klopp, Ken, has agreed a three-year deal with Liverpool. This is news breaking this afternoon, well, confirmation of what everyone was expecting. Uh, he, yeah. He's been out of work. Well, I was about to read the rest of, you know, the, you read the initial uh, yeah. part of the story and the rest is just the background information that everybody already knows. So, yeah, three-year deal for Jurgen Klopp. Well, that's, uh, that's an amazing uh, coup for Liverpool, I think, um, to, to hire Klopp. I mean, when you think about it, you think about some of the managers they've had lately. I mean, there was Rodgers, you know, we, we've talked plenty about him. Before him, Dog Leash, who I don't think would have got a job anywhere else. Uh, before him, Roy Hodgson. You know, who, I don't know if he's really the most up-to-date manager out there. Uh, and now they've got one of the most high-profile coaches in Europe. That doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be fixed. They still they still are the same club with the same problems as they were this time last week. But I do think this is a definite step in the right direction for them, yeah. All right, great stuff. Well, I think we have to wrap things up um, with that breaking whoa, whoa, news. Hold, hold on, hold on. I, I think... I think we should hear the Samuel Beckett story. Yeah, you never seen I, I felt really bad about that. Yeah, it's not it's not even a Samuel Beckett story as such. Well, go on. Listen, Owen. It's the end of the show. People can just stop the podcast out well, if they really are offended by it. So. I studied English in college. As you know. Go on. <laughs> Intriguing <laughs> start there. Always <laughs> hook them in with the first, yeah, first, few, <laughs> first sentence there. Uh, University College Dublin. Little known. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, what was I going to say about this? Oh, yeah. So there was an optional course in like, second or third year or something. There was, you had to take one of, say, four options. 
Um, I didn't like any of the options. Yeah. I enjoyed English, but for whatever reason, I was like, each of these options, none of them are appealing to me at all. I'll do this one. Filmic studies. Yeah. It has film in it. Mm. I might get to watch some films. You can't spell filmic without film. Why was it called filmic studies instead of just film studies? Because it wasn't film studies, Ken. When I went in, that's what I thought it was. Just studying movies, you know? Watching some great movies. I still don't know at the end of it, Ken. I do remember there were some movies. Um... Eisenstein is that the director? Yeah, a couple of works there from Eisenstein. Yeah, okay. Um, Baby's prams falling in stairs, that kind of thing. Battleship yeah. Potemkin. Yeah. Well, no, see, that's 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 the Untouchables, isn't it? Oh, maybe prams. Yeah, well, well no, they that nicked it from. Yeah, oh, did they? That was an homage. Game, oh, yeah. Okay, right. That's what you call it. Yeah, well, they, but so maybe I learned something from filmic studies. But there was this, it was uh, in the Naked Gun, thirty-three and a third as well. One of the less accessible Samuel Beckett plays was on the course. Can't remember what it was. Didn't really understand what was going on in the play. Didn't really understand what was going on in the subject but managed to eke out a pretty decent result at the end of it, say the equivalent yeah. of a 2-1 or something. I remember the tutor bringing me in and saying, oh, well done, here's your mark. I was like, oh, thanks. She goes, the other thing is, I actually really, I wanted to give you a slightly higher mark because you really had the, had the sort of facts down here. You know, you were, you were really paying attention to what I was saying. Mm-hmm. But I got the sense there was no, there just wasn't enough of you. You, know, you didn't really fully maybe grasp. Connect with. And I said, no, I didn't. I still, I actually don't know. I was, no I was weirdly honest about it because I think I'd gotten my mark. I, I don't really, I didn't understand what was See, going on. If you've listened to our football <laughs> podcast, you'll uh, hear us talking about Packy Bonner calling Ken an extrovert and Ken having the respect for Packy Bonner to, to not correct him, <laughs> even though Ken is an introvert. What you should have done there is, no, I, you did a good job. Oh, she I did. Did. I said it wasn't you. It was me. Well, yeah, but she, doesn't, she's, she or he is not going to remember that. All he or she's going to remember is, this guy, he's obviously a smart guy. I gave him a 2-1, yeah. you know, but... I couldn't even explain to him <laughs> what like the what headline the of is. the entire yeah. subject is. Um, I have failed that boy. That's what that's what that's what they said when the old walked out. Yeah, walked yeah. out with, with his two old unders. Oh yeah, I managed to uh, I managed to blag a two one in economics as well. So there you go, University College Dublin. Coming up in <laughs> next week's podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, thanks, Murph. Uh, thank you, old. Thank nice you, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. All. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Our next podcast are on Monday. By which stage we'll have topped our Ruby World Cup group and be in a playoff for the European Championships. Here's hoping. Chat to you then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.